Hello, in episode 13 of Airs for Architecture, I spoke with Johani Palasma, author, architect and teacher, about his life, work, writing and vision. It's an amazing story, told by a remarkable man. Airs for Architecture, a podcast about architecture, buildings, urban culture and space. Hello and welcome to another episode of Airs for Architecture. I'm talking today to Johani Palasma, the eminent professor and exceptional writer and architect. Uh, Johanna, would you be so kind as to introduce yourself? Uh, yes, I'm uh, an architect a professor. I just had my 87th birthday. Uh, and um, uh, I have been doing everything that uh, man can do in uh, in his life i started out uh, designing buildings but then i have designed furniture a huge amount of exhibitions uh, graphic design in the past few years i have designed uh, a perfume for an international perfume company perfume. I have designed a gold coin for the bank of finland etc etc uh I have always answered yes when I've been I have been asked to do something I have never thought about. That has been my principle. Yes. And that also applies to my writings. I have now pub- published uh, an enormous number of um, texts. Mm-hmm. And when looking myself in retrospect uh, there seems to be a plan. There has never been a plan. I have just responded to requests, and uh, <laughs> my career has been uh, the path of what I have been asked to do. Has that given your career a specific, a particular character, or have you always tried a, a sort of, I don't know, a character that is very varied, or have you always been I, able I, to yes, yeah, Yes, definitely. I completely unopportunistic. <laughs> career. I, I have never taken a footstep to uh, achieve something, <laughs> a job or anything. Uh, I, I've, I've just uh, followed the, uh, the requests. That's, ra- that's a rather lovely, a sort of happenstance approach to yes, a career. It's a very rewarding way of living. Yeah. You, the, I first encountered your work through um, my teachers at the Manchester School of Architecture, um, particularly, I think, uh, a man called Rick Dargavel. I do believe it was a man called Rick Dargavel who was a big fan of Zwerfen and mm. a big fan of Peter Zumpfer. Mm. And... Uh, was interested in in and around ideas of phenomenology, uh, materiality, tactility in architecture. Another man called Colin Pugh, who taught me as well from in my undergraduate studies. And so we came across your writing, particularly The Eyes of the Skin, which at the time in ni- late 1990s, early 2000s, was an absolutely seminal text for architectural writers. When did you write it? When did you publish it? Or was it the product of a long period of writing? It was published 
if I'm not wrong, in 1983. And it also came about. Uh, Stephen Hall uh, was uh, planning to publish a book entitled Questions of Perception. And uh, he invited Alberto Perez Gomez, who was already that at that time a friend of mine and myself, to contribute to the book in addition to his own uh, uh, essay, essay and uh, uh, his uh, architectural projects. And that's where I wrote an essay entitled The Architecture of Seven Senses. And uh, then after that, I was uh, asked by the uh, Academy Editions uh, Publishers in London to uh, write a short book, 32 pages of uh, manuscript on a subject I, I wanted to. And um, I uh, took half of the essay that I had written for uh, questions of perception. I revised it and then I wrote another chapter to it. And that's how it, uh, how it came about rather quickly and and it was it was built upon a sort of career since the 1960s a, a developing a, a perspective or is, was this uh, something that you had sort of always been orientated towards perhaps we can get to what the book is uh, and your and your and your and your approach but i'm kind of interested in this idea that You've been operating since as an architect since 1960s. Yes. Did you start off as a modernist? Do you count yourself yes. still as a modernist? Yes, I, I was a Miesian. A Miesian? A Miesian uh, early on as a student already. And uh, there was a strong Miesian school of young architects in, in Helsinki in the uh, late, uh, late 60s and 70s. And uh, we, uh, built wooden buildings uh, with a Miesian order, a Miesian sort of classicist uh, uh, echo in its simplicity. That's how I started. Uh, and uh, the end of that was uh, a industrial uh, summer house system called Moduli 225, which I developed with my good friend Christian Gulliksen who uh, passed away two years ago. Uh, so until about 19, the end of 70s, I was strongly in the rationalist school. But then I uh, taught architecture at the Haile Selassie University in, in uh, Ethiopia two and a half years. And my uh, view of the world as well as view of architecture and myself changed changed completely and and also my architecture changed uh, naturally and and, and, and which, uh, which, sorry so yes no which direction did it change in i mean and and and, it, and i i like this idea of your architecture and yourself um well, i things. i my architecture turned much more much richer thematically and materially and, and 
sort of multi-thematic. Uh, and uh, I also started to, I became very conscious of the tactile sense. That was my my first transformation to understand the importance of the tactile sense, which of course then uh, introduced uh, new materials and uh, material treatments. That, that's how my architecture changed rather quickly. I also did a couple of buildings in the countryside where I used natural stones. Uh, one would almost say that that was, was a romantic touch to my buildings. I don't see it that way because there, there was also always the rationalist uh, order. Uh, it, it was just the ultimate tactility through through natural stones that I aim, aimed at. Then uh, 10 years later, 15 years later, I had one of the biggest offices in Finland. I had 50 assistants at that time. And I, I had rather big, big uh, projects, a couple of art museums, uh, two shopping centers, etc., etc. But all, all, all the way, um, e even during my uh, big office, I did things with my hands. I, I made, uh, designed uh, a number of uh, furniture, light fittings. Uh, I made sculptural objects. Uh, my, uh, for me, the, my, uh, the use of my hands has have always been has always been important, and that I think comes from the my early childhood during the five four years when I lived at my farmer grandfather's uh, farmhouse, small farmhouse in central Finland. There everyone could do everything. My grandfather gave me the first men's knife when I was uh, less than six years old. Mm -hmm. And I learned to use the knife. Uh, I'm saying this because uh, my youth and uh, was rather different from uh, the youth today. In a farm life, uh, in those days, nobody had, none of the adults would have time to to tend the children. The children were left alone. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and uh, the grown-ups trusted on, on, on the children. And I'm very grateful for those five years when I was left alone. For instance, I became interested in animal construction and animal life. And then in 1995, I um, collected, compiled, and designed an exhibition on animal architecture at the Architecture Museum, which is rather legendary now. Uh, so I'm saying here that one's early life, early childhood experiences can be very uh, decisive. I still uh, think of uh, my childhood at my current age often. Yes. It's very interesting. I, I do like this idea of the animal architecture 
as well. I think there's something about the way that you have engaged with the senses in architecture and perhaps taught a generation of architects globally, I suppose, or guided us towards thinking about a more bodily engagement with the world, which obviously in the in the high modernist phase becomes abstracted and alienated. We 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 produce works that are sculpturally perhaps quite enticing, brutalist architecture, for example, um, modernist architecture, but which don't engage us. And this is this is a problem. This is, you know, this is modernism's great problem, isn't it? Well, I, I have really never uh, consciously, uh, how would I say, wanted to make any declarations. I have just done what uh, I find pertinent for, for myself and my my uh, current thinking. Um, You've never written a manifesto? Pardon me? You've never written a manifesto? I have written a couple of short manifestos, but I have never published them. But um, uh, my interest uh, in uh, phenomenology is also partly a reflection of my childhood, because um, in in uh, at wartime, I was watching animals and and. Uh, plants and uh, adult uh, adults in their work so I was observing I was everything was observation and w- I was looking at child's innocent eyes and uh, phenomenology has been sometimes called uh, Reine Schau, uh, the the pure pure looking mm. so I practiced pure looking, as, as a child, and I have continued that uh, uh, until my current age. Yeah. So I have practiced uh, phenomenology in a way since I was five years old. <laughs> That's a very nice idea. And this idea of the phenomenological, this idea of the world being, it's the Merleau-Ponty you, you mention in, in The Eyes of the Skin. Well, I, I mentioned him him practically in each one of my essays and uh, lectures because he has been so important for me. In what it's way? Great, I mean, It's a great pity that he died so young. Hmm. Yes. So this idea in Merleau-Ponty's thinking, which doesn't necessarily directly, well, it doesn't directly reference architecture, is, is that the world is a sort of world in the making. It's a, a world that... It, reveals itself through the senses in a yes like a unrolling kind of way yes and your architecture then responds to this too yes i i i, I believe so and uh, uh for me in architecture uh, i have measured and thought of architecture always through experience, experiencing architecture. I, as I said I, uh, earlier, I began with Misian, Misian strict uh, order and uh, a kind of a historicist uh, classical re- uh, echo in, in, in this order. 
but um, even then, uh, I was mostly concerned with with the the thing as experienced, uh, and it is this uh, uh, emphasis on the experience that I I I regard uh, central, and that also unifies my design work and and writing. Both are based on uh, intense uh, experience. And that is why when I stopped designing 12 years ago, 13 years ago, I have the uh, genuine feeling that I didn't stop making architecture. I'm just now making architecture through words. Mm by describing experiential architectural situations. You talk about architecture as life enhancing and the way that it kind of adds to the natural world to a certain extent, that it is that we become sort of participants in the construction of in the making of the world through architecture, which I think is a very it's a very elegant idea, and it and it it's certainly a challenge. I think in in recent years, certainly since I've been learning about architecture, much of the way that architecture is described as as something that is antithesis to nature. The point of architecture is shelter. The point of architecture is a sort of um, uh, it's a sort of a natural kind of thing that we do. And this has fed into a narrative about architecture as being somehow, in a way, a slightly awkward interpretation of it as something that is, in a way, bad. That 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 modern architecture is not a good thing um, because it um, has no correlation, no synthesis with the with the natural world, which might come from a an, a, a shift in the way that we understand ourselves as human beings, as being sort of alien forces on the world and. Uh, the pressures that we place on the world being somehow um, uh, avoidable if we simply didn't exist. And I was wondering whether, where does this kind of, this idea of the the enhancing quality of architecture, like how how do we go about understanding this a little bit more in your work? For me, uh, architecture is, first of all, it's everywhere in in uh, the human world, and for me, it is not outside of us. Uh, architectural uh, structures and uh, and uh, um, constructions, ideas, they uh, somehow. Uh, formulate our image of the world. Architecture mediates between uh, the non-human world and human world. And also very importantly, architecture gives us a sense of time. Uh, It is the most important uh, means of uh, getting to contact with the deep past. And uh, so I see the task of architecture as a mediation. I, I call it a mediating art form. And that is why 
uh, its theory and understanding uh, uh, is different than uh, for the persons who think of architecture as the end result. Uh, for me, art, art, architecture just mediates more important things. Uh, Merleau-Ponty has a ni nice line where he uh, writes that we come to see not the work of art, but the world according to the work. And this defines architecture exactly to, to me. Mm -hmm. um, so the mediating capacity is is the essence of architecture and, and as I said it suggested it mediates also in terms of time hmm. and and between and between species in a weird kind of way as well between species y yes yes surely surely but you have your you your your Working from thinking hand and also from from, um, from the the eyes of the skin, you, you you your critique stands in relation to um, modernist architecture or architecture more generally as being what you call oculocentric, focused on the eye as the sole or the primary principle medium by which we assess its value, we produce it, we understand it. I'd quite like to understand that a little bit better. What do we what do you mean how how what do you mean by oculocentric and how do we how do we see that being played out in architecture and architectural practice design? Not not in my view, not only architecture is oculocentric centric uh, the uh, modern culture, especially Western culture, is uh, highly ocular centric. And uh, until the uh, Renaissance time, roughly, uh, uh, sounds and smells were uh, most uh, primary senses in in human in the human world. It was at the time of uh, the invention of the printing, when the process of becoming an uh, uh, increasing process of uh, becoming more and more fixed, fixated to the to, to vision uh, happened. And uh, uh, of course, current uh, inventions, numerous inventions, still have uh, speeded up this uh, process mm -hmm. of uh, of uh, becoming fixed to the to the eye, and what is important to me is uh, to notice that we have become fixated to the uh, to the uh, focused eye, whereas uh, as uh, biological beings we are primarily uh, creatures of uh, peripheral vision, simply because uh, danger comes from the periphery. It, uh, the danger cannot be uh, first seen uh, in focus. It is first seen uh, through um, un unfocused uh, vision. Uh, but this also also has an uh, 
impl implications on on architecture. Ar architecture has become uh, quite uh, sharp edged, uh, and uh, uh, precise, simple uh, imagery, uh, etc., which address uh, focused eye, whereas uh, the periphery uh, is not uh, acknowledged. Mm. Only a few architects like uh, Alvarado and uh, and Sigurd Leverens, uh, etc., of the classical age, modernist age, uh, they were interested in in uh, peripheral vision, and that uh, also makes the architecture very inviting and somehow uh, mystical in a positive sense. I mean, how does this play out? I, I like this idea of the trying to preference the peripheral, which I think is a, a as a metaphor can be applied to a lot of other things. We could apply it to economics, for example. That wouldn't be a bad idea. Um, mm. <laughs> uh, and we could apply it to culture more generally. How, how, how is this revealed in built? Like, what does this precision, this ocular centrism look like? Does it look like Miesian architecture? Very precise lines with a kind of hierarchy of spaces focused around a, an objective center point with plans that derive from that. And is the opposite of it, and I'm thinking about Alto here, is the is the is the contrast to that something which has a much more complex, a hierarchical complex, and then it becomes perhaps easier to understand when you think of uh, illumination. Modernity has gone towards higher and higher levels of illumination. Mm. It is almost uh, equivalent to to uh, the development of modernity is the high level in illumination. But we have forgotten that high levels of illumination are also used in torture and uh, uh, against human humans to break the individuality. Yes. Um, biologically, we are twilight animals. Uh, Early humans did not uh, were, uh, work uh, at daytime simply because they were hunters and they, no, no animals moved uh, uh, in bright daylight. They rested during the day and then started to hunt uh, in the evening when, when the animals began to move. So twilight, we were twilight uh, creatures uh, early early on. And um, uh, yeah, this uh, means, uh, yeah, yes, you, uh, contemporary architecture is, is uh, has become so sharp edged and uh, clear image imagery, yeah, opposed to vagueness and uh and uh, darkness. Uh, and this leads to a certain sort of selection of materials, doesn't it? I mean, the specification of architecture is then defined by this desire for clarity, steel, glass, 
Yes. Sharp edged concrete. Yes. Yes. And you know, like wood, stone, mud, these get. Yes, you are right. But it also applies to thinking. The modern man uh, tends to prefer clarity, whatever it might mean in, in mm -hmm. its case, uh, that which means elimination of uh, the unclear and uh, emotional and and uh, and uh, which we can also see as a tragic uh, character of the of the homo faber the uh, man of today yeah and that un that that way of thinking about things then translates into again the way that we produce architectural spaces which are as you say characterized by an incredible quantity of windows yes which now that that turkey's coming home to roost in the in the fact that environmentally it's not possible to do it without using huge quantities of oil yes that's right but we also have this way of thinking about the buildings themselves become very sort of explicit they present themselves in a very gratuitous ma manner. There's no, there's none of this kind of Merleau-Pontian unfolding. Yes, and no, no secrets. No. Uh, buildings uh, need to be somehow uh, practical metaphors of human memory, simply because we dwell in the buildings, and, and it is our man-made landscape. is 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 a, a building, a home. Mm. Uh, homeness is also something which uh, has almost disappeared homes are dwellings mm. uh, and they are uh, objects of uh, investment uh, more, more than, than uh, finding a place to rest and, and, and feel comfortable and safe yeah. I have written quite a lot on home and the uh, loss of home. Edward Ralph um, writes about, sorry, I have to just answer quickly my phone. It's out. Mulla menee nyt just. Yes, Ed, Edward Ralph uses the notion um, uh, uh, mm. This phone call interrupted me my thought a little bit uh, about the, the the idea of home as an as a, as a an investment and 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 the way that we need to reappraise our ideas of yeah. as as a monetary investment but more more importantly social investment to uh, to create your position in the society to market and concretize it. Well, that's very interesting. Yes, and so and so we end up. Well, I mean, <clears throat> the effects of that are are everywhere. I was wondering though, as a Finnish person, and Finland to me is a mystery. I've never had the opportunity to go, but I have a mental image of it. Um, obviously, in in the north, it's six months of the year is dark. And you get to see the Northern Lights and Father Christmas yes. lives there and all of these wonderful <laughs> things. Um, uh, 
has that been very do you do you feel i mean i i love this idea of you going down to africa and and sort of shaking off in a way the mesian mm-hmm. tyranny of mesian thinking towards something that's more high, more synthetic more nuanced um nuanced and and less linear but has finland itself played i mean obviously your childhood and you've spoken about your childhood uh, and i know that you have this holiday home in an on a lake in an island in in finland i looked at it on a map and mm-hmm. i was very jealous um <laughs> do you feel that there's something finnish about the way that you think about things is there something or is this or or is this a more universal kind of anxiety about modernism and and a more universal desire for a better architecture no uh the the older i get the stronger i feel my finishness and the more Im- important uh, certain aspects of finnish landscape and culture and history and and the way how, how people behave uh be- becomes uh secret gideon uh when writing the first essay his uh, long essay uh, on alvarado he makes the point that alvarado is a finn and he takes finland everywhere that he goes and this is true alto's buildings in america on the uh, west coast and in france germany uh france uh, wherever they are buildings uh, fitted into miniature finnish landscapes uh, <laughs> uh they they are delightful but uh, but uh one uh, needs to pay attention to to the fact that even the uh, immediate landscape has been exported <laughs> or imported from finland <laughs> but that just shows how how strong the connection mm. with a landscape can 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 be mm. and in a way i would say needs to be mm. i have myself uh flown around uh, around the globe 108 times i have been rather mo- mobile but every time that i have returned back to finland i have felt uh deeper belonging in this setting yes it's very wonderful very beautiful you mentioned at the beginning the idea of the hand and you've mentioned it a number of times what do you think it is about the hand and the way that we as designers work with our hands or the importance of working with our hands it, what does it give us that is specific that cannot be um replaced by um tools or Uh, particularly more abstract tools like computers well uh, as i gave my uh, book uh, the title the thinking hand mm. uh, hand is not only just a uh, organ for making things it is uh, also an organ to think and have ob- opinions about uh, things particularly in the material world mm. and uh, uh, i myself uh, feel that the, the uh, 
touch of the things thing of things is of extreme importance uh, for the last 50 years i would say in my own design work when i make drawings and draw a line i'm not thinking of the line i'm thinking of the edge and how it feels and my edges are usually rounded a little bit to to uh, be more inviting to the to the hand uh, hand uh, is also has a role in in the uh, development of language etc uh, etc et uh, we, uh, we we tend to think uh, of uh, our uh, brain and intelligence as our most human human qualities uh, I would suggest that uh, the hand has a similar similar uh, role just think of the caressing hand of uh, uh, mother or or uh, the, the caressing hand of a furniture maker who polishes the surface of the wood uh, I have always admired craftspeople and their hands when I went to the first year of school uh, in the countryside I have by the way I had to ski four kilometers through the pitch black night to the school through forests oh, there uh, were wolves there were wolves <laughs> but uh, I uh, passed through by a village smith's uh, small wooden uh, house mm. and the door was always open in the winter also because it was so hot inside and I looked and admired at that black man who had huge hands which were all black and I, I just got the impression that he could uh, handle melting uh, metal in, in his bare hands uh, so already at the school age I, I admired hands and their capacities yeah for sure. <laughs> I know I know how you I know how you feel and and I think we're all particularly us academics whose hands never see a hard day's work in their lives not really um uh, it is it there is something deeply there's something deeply um tantalizing about that um which architects obviously you've you've reached and and, and had a huge impact on a, a a number of people a whole generation i would say of 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 architectural thinking which architects do you think embody this kind of approach this thinking hand this tactile you you I, I think it was really you that introduced these words of sort of materiality and and the haptic into architectural mm. language which architects have been do you feel have been best at kind of engaging with this I mean I I suppose a question slightly further back than that is is this a form is this kind of architectural approach you're talking about a sort of advanced form of postmodernity is it something like critical regionalism you know Kenneth Frampton's critical regionalism mm. or are you taking it back beyond that 
towards tradition, towards indigenous architecture? I I am thinking more in longer periods than than uh, postmodernity and and modernity. I'm thinking of uh, earlier cultures and ways of life uh, and the uh, fact that we ha- we are living in a society of specialization and and narrowing continuous narrowing of expertise which we can see in the breaking down of the entire world now in our days with the capacity to generalize and have uh, overlooks uh, of wider understanding is uh, going down in my view mm. and and uh, i think we need to go back and one of the ways of going back is, would be, would be to engage our entire being uh, in in what we do um, i think it is it is a, a dramatically wrong orientation to uh, make uh, students of architecture uh, work with computers in most schools where i lecture i have always say stop that and uh, let uh, let the students work with computers only after a couple of years of working with their hands mm-hmm. after the point when uh, someone has learned to use their hands and particularly combine the brain and the hands then the computer probably cannot do that much harm anymore uh, believe you me I'm serious about this yeah <laughs> Yeah, I, I I I understand. I understand that. I um, and I agree with it. I think that's. I intuit. I intuit that. I did my undergraduate by hand. I did my postgraduate on the computer, and I remember one of my tutors, turning up. It's a different architecture school. Turning up for a crit for a review, and looking at my drawings and said, "What happened to your hand drawings?" To which there was no answer. I mean, my architecture didn't get any better. It certainly didn't get any better. Mm. But I could produce more of it. Yes. So there you go. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, but this question about who who do you feel kind of which contemporary architects, if we're looking or mod, uh, you know, uh, architects of the recent decades, if we're looking for someone to kind of other than your own work embody some of the the the, the teaching that you have spent so much time doing well, who would you say many of these architects that uh, i would that i appreciate most uh, have been very close friends of mine uh-huh. uh, stephen hall for instance he's he uh, I, I just uh, uh, admire his capacity to keep on inventing all the time uh, New approaches to uh, to design tasks. Glenn Murcott uh, is a superb architect. Uh, uh, we have named each other a brother, so we are that close. Uh, Peter Zumtor, uh, of course, uh, but then there are also several uh, really good architects in China. 
who have been able to uh, bring a new materiality and depth into their work and also uh, tied uh, Chinese tradition traditions into contemporary architecture. Mm. Uh, well, I could easily name uh, two dozen or three dozen or whatever number architects whom I uh, whom I trust in the sense that they are on the tra- right track. Uh, Doing their best. Many who are just business-oriented. And yeah. I, I can't tolerate uh, an architect who is business-oriented. What are the, I mean, I guess the question, I guess for me that modern architecture is very cheap, very economical. Is there a cost implication to, to taking your uh, approach to architecture? Is 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 it more is it more expensive? If, do you know what I mean? It's like why are we not doing it? If 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 the approach you propose produces better buildings, happier people, more productive, more content, um, why do we not do it? Is it to do with just cost? I. Or is it a change in imagination? Are we a different people? And are, is your architecture really dependent upon becoming something different as a as a as a, as a West you know Western people becoming a different animal again, reverting to something? I think all these all these as aspects of life and work and values are related, interrelated. Um, so an architect is as a person usually what she or he does as a as a creative individual uh i i can't see that uh, those aspects of uh, personality can be um distanced too much from each, each other um that is why i also feel that uh, that uh, it is important to to uh, particularly for a teacher to be understanding and behave well and supportive supportively i have seen uh, professors in around the world who just um, break the student's ego i almost get tears because uh, that's not the way to behave and at least uh, the way to teach mm-hmm. uh, the the architectural profession has adopted uh, rather strange uh, norms of behavior uh, also uh, uh, being arrogant which has been uh, particularly characteristic to the uh, more successful architects often is something that I I have difficulties of understanding and Mm. and accepting. Is the approach, is the thinking hand approach, is this one of humility? Is that what you're saying? That the architect has to be humble in relation to time, place, history, personhood, all of these things? Yes, absolutely. 
and also uh, I don't believe that uh, at all in my own case that I have uh, that I know something. I'm learning cons constantly and uh, and uh, changing my my views and opinions constantly, simply because uh, my re the re uh, reality around me is changing. Mm. Um, I would believe that I believe that uh, some sort of uh, emotional and intellectual and social flexibility uh, should be needed would be needed uh, in in the architect's world. Yes. Yes. I. I. I yeah. I. I. I understand that in, in, indeed. I just just a, just one last question. How does one go about? So going back to this idea of anti-ocular centrism, what is the design process involved in an anti-ocular centric building? Where do you start, and how does it develop? To always think of the uh, object or room or place that you are designing as an entity, not focus on your drawing. Always be uh, sketching the experiential reality, not a uh, line drawing. And uh, I think it's uh, not difficult early on in one's studies to make this shift from placing your consciousness on the drawing uh, and then shifting it to to the reality of the thing. Not only its material reality, but also its performative uh, reality being used and then eventually developing a sensitivity to to uh, to the uh, emotions that the uh, thing might might uh, uh, um, how would I say stimulate? Uh, I'm here again coming to the central role of experience and uh, the central role of first person uh, position. Which is to say, the architect must be an empathetic person. That empathy yes. plays a significant role. Which I do believe is it, it is very difficult through technology, through computerization, to be yes. empathetic because it's so abstract. And there because are... we and we as architects spend so little time actually speaking to the people that have to confront our buildings. There are now uh, very interesting studies on empathy uh, among animals. We have thought, believed uh, that empathy is something, a human quality. No, it's uh, in biological life. Uh, it's a uh, strategy of, or skill of, uh, of existence uh, through uh, coexistence and empathy. Mm. Altogether, I think that biology has become 
more and more important also for for the architectural profession, simply because uh, we are all millions of years old. I tell my students always that you are millions of years old uh, because we are um, products of evolution that is still continuing. Mm -hmm. We are thoroughly evolutionary beings. But that is not so often thought about in, in architecture, which also uh, brings the uh, importance or points at the importance of time. We, we overestimate the, uh, the role of space I, I, in ar architectural work. I have even stopped using the uh, word space because space for me is an abstract notion in uh, the science of physics. It's not an architectural notion at all. In, in architecture, we deal with place. Uh, and uh, place is something that is defined by uh, material presence. Uh, well, altogether, uh, we we need to uh, step back from from the path towards increasing abstraction and intellectualization. I'm not. Be I I don't believe that I'm an anti-intellectual, but I'm critical of intellectuality, including my own, and I try to resist it. It's negative consequences. I think we'll stop there. Thank you so very much, Johanny. That was very wonderful to hear you speak. Thank you. All right. <laughs> All eyes on him, to quote the late great Tupac. Thank you to Johanny for the wonderful and utterly unexpected privilege of getting to speak with him. It was a most generous thing. The Eyes of the Skin should be on your reading list, and there's a link to it and a thinking hand in the podcast description. If you want more thoughts on Johanny's inspiration, Morris Marleau-Ponty, you might listen to an earlier episode of the podcast from Series 2 with Jonathan Hale. Thanks for listening.